You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. The U.S. Defense Information Agency discloses a data breach affecting personal information of up to 200,000 individuals. More international reprobation of the alleged GRU hack of Georgian websites. Trolls move from creation to curation. Stalkerware data exposure. And a look at how the U.K. might actually implement its compromised position on high-risk 5G vendors. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, February 21st, 2020. The U.S. Defense Information Systems Agency, DISA, disclosed that between May and July of 2019, one of its systems sustained a data breach that may have compromised personal data. According to Fifth Domain, DISA wrote affected personnel, who may number up to 200,000, that their names and social security numbers may have been compromised. Which systems were breached is unclear, as is whether the incident was an attack or a data exposure. Reuters emphasizes that DISA provides telecommunications services to the White House and other high-level U.S. government organizations. That's true, but possibly misleading, as DISA does far more than that. It's a combat support agency whose mission is to conduct Department of Defense Information Network operations for the joint warfighter. Most service members, defense employees, and contractors touch DISA networks, so this would appear to be a case of a breach of PII as opposed to the penetration of sensitive executive branch networks. Other countries have joined the U.S., the U.K., and Georgia in condemning what they call a large-scale GRU defacement attack against Georgian websites last October, Fifth Domain and others report. Naming and shaming are thought part of a broader effort to reinforce international norms of conduct in cyberspace. Other allied governments, including governments with strong institutional memories of Russian hybrid operations, like those of Estonia and the Czech Republic, have also joined in the criticism of Moscow's operations against Georgia. The Georgian operations were almost purely disruptive, figurative sand in the metaphorical gears of civil society. With that in mind, it's worth reviewing— the Atlantic looks at Russian influence operations directed against the 2020 U.S. elections and concludes that the Americans themselves are doing a good job of creating divisive content all on their own and that the Russians seem to have moved from creation to curation. It's impossible to resist the temptation to quote Pogo Possum on this. We have met the enemy and he is us, as he famously said more than half a century ago. There's enough ill will and paranoia in domestic production to leave the troll farms of St. Petersburg with little to do beyond retweeting it. As The Atlantic observes, quote, The U.S. doesn't need Russians to erode faith in its elections. One buggy app at the Iowa caucus did that just fine. Unquote. 
Moscow remains interested in weakening American civil society and can be expected to continue its efforts along those lines, but we may not see a revival of 2016-style hacking and creative disinformation. Amplification and curation may well do it. The Atlantic talked to Graham Brookie, director of the Digital Forensic Research Lab at the Atlantic Council, no relation to the Atlantic magazine, by the way. They quote Brookie as saying of Russia's Internet Research Agency, the highest-profile troll farm of them all, that at this point, quote, they could spike the football and say, mission accomplished, end quote. Maybe they will. TechCrunch reports that KidsGuard, an app designed to monitor what children do with their phones, also spouses, employees, and so on, exfiltrates data to a leaky Alibaba bucket. KidsGuard is a legal tool that, as its name implies, is marketed to parents interested in keeping a handle on their wards and offspring's online shenanigans. Its manufacturer, CleveGuard, says KidsGuard can access all the information on a targeted device, and that includes real-time location, text messages, browser history, photos, videos, app activities, and recordings of phone calls. The exposure of exfiltrated data seems to be the result of a misconfiguration and not a deliberate choice on the vendor's part. Apps like KidsGuard have come to be known as stalkerware for the relative ease with which they're repurposed to snoop on people who decidedly aren't underage children. And finally, as the U.S. continues to try to persuade its allies that they should keep Huawei out of their 5G infrastructure, the chief technology officer of Huawei's networking unit, Paul Scanlon, told CNBC that the U.S. government would find it difficult to come up with companies that would be credible 5G alternatives to Huawei. The U.S. has urged the U.K. and others to recognize and resist Huawei propaganda to the effect that the hardware giant is 5G deployment's indispensable company. A decision by what the Register calls the Ministry of Fun suggests that the actual implementation of Britain's compromise position on Chinese manufacturers may be more restrictive than many had believed. The Department for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport, to give the Ministry of Fun its proper name, has opened bidding on nine rural 5G pilots with a total value of £35 million. In requesting proposals, the department said, however, that none of the winning projects or future projects from 5G Create will use equipment from high-risk vendors. England, in the gallant days when history hung on the flight of an arrow or the slash of a sword, when feudal barons ravaged the countryside to live in pomp and splendor, when one man alone dared challenge the might of his country's oppressors, Robin Hood, outlaw of Sherwood Forest and his stalwart band, robbing the rich to feed the poor, ready to fight for king, for country, or for maiden fair. Are you with me? The specific nature of some of those products is suggestive of how expansive the notion of core infrastructure is becoming. They include water pollution control projects, woodland and livestock remote monitoring, and even an interactive system designed for tourists visiting Sherwood Forest, specifically a virtual reality Robin Hood and his merry men. That a VR Robin Hood would be too sensitive to allow Huawei in hints that the reality of the UK's implementation of compromise restrictions on Huawei and other Chinese vendors won't be as far from the notoriously harder American line as Washington fears. Unless, of course, Sherwood Forest is a bigger national security deal than it appears to us over here. Sheriff of Nottingham, Prince John. What was that passage in the movie? Why, you speak treason. Fluently. Right. 
Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And it is my pleasure to welcome back uh, to the studio. In studio this time is uh, Rick Howard, who regular CyberWire listeners will recognize. Uh, Rick uh, has joined us over the years. Uh, for many years, you were the chief security officer at Palo Alto Networks. That's right. And so thanks for letting me into the inner sanctum of <laughs> <laughs> the CyberWire. I've been listening to it for years, and now I get to see how it's really done. So uh, it's, it's pretty exciting for me. Yeah. Well, we're excited to have you here. And uh, part of what we want to talk about today is uh, a little bit of a career journey that you've been on for the past couple months. Bring us up to date. Uh, what's been going on? Well, I was, I, you said I worked at Palo Alto Networks. I was their chief security officer, and I was there for a good six years. And I was talking to my wife about this earlier. I was 75% on the road. Wow. And I didn't realize how insane that was until I actually stopped. And uh, it was like, oh, this is what normal people do. You can have, you can, <laughs> right. You reintroduced yourself to your wife and family. That's right. I could yeah. have dinner with my wife and mm-hmm. walk my dogs. Yeah, so it was, um, it was enlightening that, uh, that normal people have that kind of life. Uh, so I had the opportunity to just kind of think about what I wanted to be when I grow up, and I knew that I did just, didn't just want to go and you know work for another corporation just to make money. I've been doing this job, similar jobs for geez, twenty five years, and you may notice I have some opinions about how to do stuff. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I noticed. So, and you know, I could either you know do what my traditional peers have done, which is you know consult or you know go work on boards and. But um, I'm looking for scale, right? How do I transmit some of these ideas to, um, you know, to a larger audience? That's kind of what I was thinking about. 
And so ultimately, uh, the decision that you made, which uh, I have to admit uh, benefits uh, me personally, everyone here at the CyberWire and all of our listeners is, what is it, uh, Rick? Um, I have taken a job uh, starting today, as a matter of fact, to be the chief security officer and uh, senior fellow and uh, chief analyst for the CyberWire. Yes. It's been so hard to hold back the news that I, I knew the potential was that you'd be coming and joining our team. And uh, we're just so excited, uh, pleased as punch for you to join us. Of course, I looked it up. You know, you and I met probably five years ago at Is that RSA. Right? Has it been yeah. five years ago. Yeah. On the show floor at RSA, we came and did an interview together. Uh, of course, when you were at Palo Alto, and uh, I feel like we just hit it off and have been doing these segments ever since. We brought you on as a as a partner, and uh, it's just been really great. So to have you join our team here at the CyberWire, just uh, really exciting for all of us here. Well, you know, it's amazing. I'm a big podcast guy. I was I've been listening to podcasts before there were podcasts because I hate radio commercials, right? <laughs> right? And so, um, and by the way, you may know this, but there are thousands of cybersecurity podcasts and most of them are not very good. So over the years, I picked two that I listen to all the time. And the number one has been the CyberWire. Hmm. So when I was looking around as a lark, uh, when I, over the Christmas break, uh, I sent you a note and said, hey, how about bringing me on as a podcast host? And then it just kind of snowballed to this kind of opportunity. So right. I'm very excited. Yeah, yeah, us too. Well, I mean, let's dig in a little bit for, for our audience. I mean, what kinds of things are, are you hoping to do here as you join our team? I and mean, we've got our sights set on having you have some shows of your own. What sort of things do you have in mind? I'm very interested in how the cybersecurity industry, I, I call the people that work there network defenders, right, and how we think about cybersecurity. It feels like we haven't really innovated in a very long time. We have been incrementally improving cybersecurity, but not really disrupting cybersecurity. So I'd like to uh, think about those kinds of ideas, how to take a giant leap uh, in how we do our jobs as opposed to just every day getting a little bit better. So those kinds of things interest me a lot. Yeah. Well, I have to say, uh, I'm sure everyone out there can hear my own excitement here. Uh, (laughs) It's great to have you aboard. I know you're excited, too. Uh, I guess for the first time I will say it, uh, the CyberWires, Rick Howard. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. My guest today is Ashling McRunnels. She's Chief Business Officer at Synac. She's also among a team of organizers of the Courageous Women CISO Brunch, as well as a women-only Capture the Flag at the upcoming RSA conference in San Francisco. At Synac, we are the trusted leader in crowdsourced security. That means we have a crowdsourced security testing platform that is based on harnessing the best of artificial intelligence and human intelligence together to provide the best possible results. Now, when you do that, you have to be able to harness the best and most brilliant humans from a security perspective across the planet in order to be able to bring the diversity of thoughts to the table to be able to test thoroughly. What we found is that as we were harnessing researchers across the world, and we do so from 80 different countries, we found that we were well represented culturally but that we were very underrepresented from a female perspective. And so because of that, we've had for the last number of years a focus on being able to encourage more women to consider security as a career 
and encourage the women in security to continue to play a ongoing, vibrant role in participating very fully in the security ecosystem. Well, let's talk about um, the brunch that you're going to be hosting at RSA. This is the Courageous Women CISO brunch. What can uh, attendees expect? So this is, I think, the eighth one of these that we've actually done across the country. And uh, we've always had rave reviews. It's actually a pretty lighthearted brunch where we have a group discussion about some of the challenges and opportunities that we see in security today. Some of them are technical issues. Some of them are more career oriented. In general, what we have found is that women are dramatically underrepresented in security. As I mentioned, today we have only one in five women playing a C-level role in the security industry. And it's even worse at the practitioner level, believe it or not. And this is an industry that is right now struggling with a massive uh, talent gap where we need to recruit just great people across the board. And so women are very, very underrepresented in that group. So what we have uh, put together is a meeting that we hold regularly. This one is a brunch where people can uh, chat and encourage and empower each other to be part of this community. You know, when I've had conversations uh, with uh, a variety of women in cybersecurity, something that I've heard many times is that there are conversations that can take place at events like this that just can't happen at uh, mixed sex events uh, where they have, we have men and women together. That by having women together, that uh, opens up an avenue for conversations um, uh, frankness and candor that would be difficult to have in a mixed environment. Is that your experience as well? It actually is. We've had amazing sessions where, you know, the feedback I've gotten before is tremendous. And I think it's exactly what you're saying is that there's a lot of different networking sessions in the security industry. Very few of them are focused in on women, allowing women to speak in a way that's very comfortable to open up and ask for advice from others in a comfortable, easy way. Now, you're also uh, organizing a women-only Capture the Flag event. Can you share some of the details on that one for us? Yeah, absolutely. Similarly, uh, we find that uh, from a researcher perspective, again, we source researchers from 80 different countries across the world, and yet the women only make up about 12% of that group. So given that uh, it should be closer to 50%, just massively underrepresented. Now, this one's really interesting for me because a lot of people may not understand the life of a you know, great ethical researcher. For us, we have um, a wonderful group of researchers, many of whom are dads who work from home and have a great lifestyle because they're able to participate in uh, earning an income by uh, working on the Synac platform and finding vulnerabilities for our clients. And our clients are the government and some of the largest enterprises out there. Now, these stay-at-home dads often can, like I said, uh, work in a normal setting and they can work from wherever they live. I think it's a shame that more women don't realize that this is a career that they can also participate in and that being a great ethical hacker 
gives you an enormous amount of freedom to be able to earn an income from wherever you live and to earn it on your own schedule in your own hours. So the Women Only Capture the Flag, again, is an initiative to try and encourage women to be able to support each other in getting into this career and see each other, uh, you know, see the great researchers that we have that are making a living here, and hopefully that will motivate others. This forum is really about women advocating for women, supporting women in a really positive way. That's Ashling McRonalds from SENAC. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.